0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to The Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be jumping into the Lord's Prayer. But not the one that was taught to us back in Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to the prayer that our Lord lifted up in John chapter number 17. And, oh, man, is that ever going to be a powerful reality for our lives today? It's realizing just how much God loved us how much Jesus loves us, and how much Jesus prays for us, even to this day. It's going to be exciting. Father, we thank you and praise you, asking your blessing upon the word that we receive today. Let us receive your heart, Father, that we may be able to see you, that we may be able to know you. Father, we praise you and ask your blessing in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So the first thing we want to accomplish today is we're just going to read this whole chapter, 26 verses full of power, and we're going to rejoice in them afterwards. We'll start back and we'll, we'll just discuss them over, rather today all or within the next two days. But The scripture goes forward to say to us, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with you, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is such an amazing prayer. Amazing on so many levels, it's impossible to begin. Where, what do you talk about first? Where do you go? I mean, the, the relationship reality between Jesus and the Father and between us and Jesus, and the bridge that is created between the Father and us because of Jesus. As he said, I in you, Father, and they in me, that all may be one. And so the fact that we are in Jesus is our direct connection to the Father, and and that the Father loved Jesus, the Father loves us because we are in Jesus And the reality of our love for the Father is is found in Jesus, for as we have come to know Jesus, we have come to know the Father. And as much as Jesus had done, as much as Jesus had loved, as much as Jesus had gave, we recognize that all of these attributes that we find in the Son are attributes every bit the attributes that would be discovered in the father who hatched the plan from the foundation of the world to be able to redeem man who whom he knows is going to separate from him in the garden of eden and it's interesting that jesus would make note of the one that he that he lost that jesus would make note that that he had everything taken care of but one, and that one, of course, the son of destruction, or as would be said, the son of perdition, over in uh, I believe is First Thessalonians chapter number two, that this Judas Iscariot would would be one who, through prophecy, would be made known that his bishopric would need to be replaced, and that this one would would ultimately leave the fold and and betray the Son of God. And, of course, we understand all of the necessities here. We know that it was necessary for one to be able to betray Jesus to get Him in the hands of the Romans. We know that Jesus needed to be in the hands of the Romans in order to suffer for man and die at their hand because the Jews couldn't kill Him. So, we understand that in order for Jesus to fulfill All of the prophecies that he fulfilled, and in order for God to be able to complete the offering that he had made in giving man this lamb that would be the perfect sacrifice that would cover us from the penalty of our sin in the day of Yom Kippur, that day of atonement or judgment, that we understand that this was this was all planned, it was all necessary, it was according to the will of the Father. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus has a broken heart about this, that a part of the sweat that dropped like blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, it doesn't mean that some of that sweat was poured out because of the anguish of losing one. Even though he knows that that this is fulfillment of his father's will, it doesn't change the fact for the last three years Jesus would provide for Judas Iscariot, that Jesus would walk with Judas, that Jesus would would talk with Judas and pray with Judas and teach Judas and 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 all of these other things that you would find in the fellowship of those 12 that are so intimate with Jesus for the last three years that it isn't going to break the heart of of Jesus and the fact that Judas is going to be the one to betray him you think about what it says over in Psalm twenty two, and he says, you know, if it would have been an enemy that it would have come up against me, I could have borne that. He said, But it was you, it was my own acquaintance, it was my it was my close friend. You betrayed me. I mean, there's this this understanding that, that lies deep within the layers of the flesh, right? That there's this this burden, this broken heart because of the the, the transaction that's about to be made. Though it was understood, uh, certainly, that it was necessary for this transaction to occur, it's still a broken heart, because if it would have been a spy in in the camp, if it would have been a Pharisee, if it would have been a scribe, if it would have been a Sadduceal priest, if it would have been anybody else that wasn't so intimately connected with Jesus, he could handle it. But it was this one, this one son of perdition. Ah, oh, what a what a broken heart. What a what a prayer that we've got here. Now, back in Matthew chapter number six, of course we talk about Luke about chapter six as well. But Matthew chapter number six, verses nine to eleven, we find that the disciples come to Jesus and they said, "Lord, teach us to pray." And Jesus was explaining to them, "Well, when you pray, pray." You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In one one account, and what we often memorize this to be is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But in Matthew's account, it specifically says debts and debtors. And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is known as the Lord's Prayer. But if you pay attention to the context of what is written in this particular chapter, these disciples, they say, teach us to pray. So the end result is, is, this is the Lord's instruction about how to pray about keeping God in focus to who He is and where He belongs over all things, about recognizing your need for daily the Word of God to be in your heart so that you would not sin against God, the the recognition of God's ultimate desire for that that heavenly kingdom so as that we would call out for those things that, that on earth would be like those things in heaven. And in fact, when you gather together, in, in your church on Sunday, you're getting a taste of what heaven's like on earth. As you walk into the sanctuary, which is a building that that is set apart from the rest of the places that you would go, the rest of the society that you live in, you walk into this building, it's, it's much resembling of that throne room of God. And and you see those elders and you see those, those Things that are happening with within the house, the praise of of the songs that you're able to sing, and the worship of the Word of God that is being preached, and everything that is happening on on Sunday, or if you're a Sabbath observer on Saturday, everything that's happening on on those days inside of that congregation is so powerful because it's brought you right into the throne room of God, even though you're in that building on this earth. It's the gathering of the people. It's never been about the building. It's always been about the gathering of the people and the connection that the people have with God. So it doesn't matter if it's a storefront. It doesn't matter if it's an elaborate cathedral. It doesn't matter if it's if it's in somebody's house. It doesn't matter. It's that congregation of believers that have gathered from wherever they've come from, into this place for the purpose of worshiping God. And in this moment, you've got Jesus in this upper room with these 11 disciples because he just has to accept that he has to lose one for the prophecies to be fulfilled. You can understand the broken heart of Jesus at this point. But in this upper room, in this moment, with this, this intimacy of, of what is being revealed by Jesus, there is a no question that what is the throne room of God in this moment is what's happening right there with Jesus. That's why he says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because everything that's going to come to pass, the, the hard things the sweet things, the, the ugly things, the lovely things, all of these different things. I mean, Jesus, let's, let's take a look at what is necessary in heaven to be done on earth. Jesus is about to have to die. He's about to have to suffer at the hands of man. He's about to have to go through the most excruciating uh, tortures and ultimately death that, that mankind has ever truly known. And, and he's saying... That, that the will of God that is in heaven, may it be done on earth. How difficult is that? Well, needless to say, it's the training of the prayer that, that Jesus would give to the disciples. It doesn't mean that that's what they're supposed to say every time they pray. It means that, that Jesus establishes a pattern. As we see the Lord's Prayer, now this, John 17, this is the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> And there's no question about it. As he opens his heart and he begins to pour out his thoughts, he begins to pour out his, his glory in this moment unto the Father to glorify the Father. And in that moment in glorifying the Father, Jesus is being glorified. And it's so powerful. So we'll take a look at it. In, in the very first verse here, the Scripture says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, When Jesus had spoken what words? Well, of course, we got to go back to the end of John chapter number 16. Well, let's just think about the whole of John chapter 16 entirely. When Jesus begins, remember, two days ago, Jesus began and he said, so there's going to come a day when they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. There's going to come a day when they arrest you, throw you in jail. And in fact, there's going to come a day when they're going to kill you and think that they did God a service because they don't know God. And the reason why they don't know God is because they don't know me. And it goes all through John 16, explaining all of these truths to the, to the disciples there in the upper room at the, that last supper of the Lord and when it finally after he does a little chastising after he does a little little dealing with his disciples because they got a little bit uh, off course and Jesus's teachings in John 16 we looked at that yesterday by the time he gets to the very end he said look these things are going to happen and you will have tribulation in this world you're going to there's no escape from it you're going to suffer from for the faith, because this world hates God, period. This world has no desire, wants nothing to do with God, and a greater majority of this world doesn't even know God. Now, they know plenty about other gods, And they chase after worldly possessions. They chase after all kinds of other things in representation to other gods. But they don't know the Lord, our God. And Jesus said, when you go through the sufferings that you're going to have to go through simply because you're going to be so separate from the rest of the world in the observance of the Lord, our God then understand that i've overcome the world i'm going to be overcoming all of this now the disciples when they hear jesus say be of good cheer i have overcome the world they are thrilled to death at this point though still scared to death understand but they're thrilled because if jesus is saying what we think he's saying that means he's going to throw down Rome now. That means that the end is is upon us, that, that the, the time for us to rise and rule is, is going to happen. And so, as much as they're worried about being captured, they're also starting to rejoice because Jesus said, I've overcome the world. But remember that none of these guys they understand this. None of these guys realize really what's being said because they're all looking at it from a naturalistic and physical perspective. None of these guys are actually paying attention to this from the reality perspective of the spirituality that Jesus is revealing. All too often, we get caught up in that as well. We start kind of thinking more along the lines of those things material or those things physical instead of acknowledging those things spiritual unto the Lord. And it's in those moments of those spiritual things that that often elude us. They escape our vision because we're looking for an answer in something material or we're looking for an answer in something of this physical realm, when in fact, sometimes our answers come with a spiritual blessing that floods our soul and gives us point to do exactly what Jesus is doing right here in John 17. Because right after Jesus finishes by saying, Look, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. It, it, the Holy Spirit wells up within Jesus to such a mighty extent that he just lifts his eyes up to heaven and begins to burst out in worship. He's worshiping God in this moment. This whole prayer is is a prayer of worship unto God. And so he begins in his time of intimacy with the Father in worship he says, Father, the hour has come you know, and that's a, that's a tough place to be right there because he recognizes okay, I, I, I get it I, it's my time to die and when he keeps saying the hour has come, and that literally testifies the fact that Jesus is saying okay, I know I'm going to die today and, I, and that's wow That's all you can say about it is, Wow, I know I'm going to die today, Jesus said. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Now, glorify. Pour a little extra into me so that I may be strong enough to be able to take my stand through all of my trial and, and exemplify you. Now, guys, the reality here that we are receiving is something that I'm certain exists all over the world and especially in those 50 what 53 countries that Christianity is illegal in in the world today is that you would find that that necessity to to the saints that would be out proclaiming the gospel in a territory or in a country that despises our God to the point where they would make our faith, illegal in their borders, and so that it would be necessary for them in any given day to be glorified by the Father, filled with His presence, strengthened by His Spirit within them, to have the courage and have the... the fortitude to be able to go and do the work of the Lord, knowing that in any given person that you share with, and in any given place that you go, that that is the day that you die. That is the day that you're arrested. That is the day that you're beaten. That, that, that just a lot of merciless things can happen to a believer in one of those countries, and... Every believer that that dwells within the borders of those countries just have to reach this place of this prayer of Jesus in their own personal lives that cry out, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. The end result of the believer's desire is that God be magnified, that God be manifest, and that God be glorified. Magnified, manifested, and glorified through our lives. We, we want to magnify God in the praise that we have for his, for his work and for Him in our own life. We want to magnify God, meaning we want to, to make Him so large in the sight of other people that they can't ignore Him, that they can't get around Him, that they have to confront Him. We want to magnify God in this earth. We want to manifest God to this earth as believers we, we want to study the scriptures to a point where we're able to make him known to manifest something is to bring it to light to make it known and seeable so we magnify him and we manifest him for the purpose of people not being able to say that they didn't know for people to actually discover the truth of uh, of our god to be able to have that hope of coming to know him as we know him and be born again. And ultimately, we want to glorify God in, in our members, right? Our bodies. We want to glorify God. So we want to magnify Him. We want to manifest Him. We want to glorify Him. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. And that glorifying that we're talking about is just shining. It's just shining for the Lord, just just rejoicing in Him because of the connection that we have through Jesus to Him that, that we just we just want to praise Him. I mean, I don't even think that there's good enough words in English language, certainly, but I don't think that there's good enough words on the face of the planet for the way in which we truly desire to glorify Jesus, to glorify our Father in heaven, because they are worthy, guys. And this is a, a, a familiar song that we keep coming back to as we travel through Revelation on Thursday evenings here at Martin. Is that that rather it's the martyred saints, or rather it's it's the one hundred forty four thousand of the remnant of Israel, rather it's it's the the four living creatures that carry the throne of God, rather rather it's the angels that fly through the the common theme. Of, of the songs of heaven, the praise of heaven. The common theme is, You are worthy, O Lord our God. That's the common theme. And so when we consider that, that reality and the common theme of it, we, we really grasp a hold of the, the, the idea behind this truth that brings us to this point of Jesus' prayer. And he comes down, and he tells us, he says, Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, in verse number 3, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the reality is poured out is that he says, this is what you've given Jesus the authority over all flesh to do. And, and his authority is to be able to give, as according to verse number two, eternal life to everyone that's been given to him. And so this is that eternal life that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. I mean, we see that throughout so it's a very exciting point that we consider the the reality that is shown to us, the authority that is over all flesh. That Jesus, when you when you date yourself back to our studies in Genesis, as we're in chapter number seven, and we've we've seen the fountains of the deep break open and create the fault line systems around our earth, and and the pouring of the water that would come out of there in in the forty days and forty nights of rain, and the and everything that that got wet got dead. I now, mean, that's just as simple as you can explain it. And the reality that, that all of this judgment that would pour from the Father, as he said, all flesh has come before me, and, and there is none good, no, not one. I'm going to destroy all flesh from the face of the earth. Noah, build this ark, and get inside of it, because if you don't, you're going to die with the rest. And, and the reality that Noah accepted this, this task, understanding the gravity of the situation, which, by the way, believers, we really ought to be accepting the gravity of the situation of our salvation. As much as we rejoice in our salvation, that God has blessed us with, there is a responsibility to our salvation to go out and tell others, just like there was a responsibility to Noah's salvation to build that boat. There are works involved, not in the saving process to to make us a child of God. The works are not for that purpose. Salvation is by faith. There's no work element in that. And through God's grace that's extended to us, the work element comes after the belief. Noah believed God's word when he said, The end of all flesh has come before me and I'm going to destroy him. Noah believed God. That belief, that faith, and knowing that God, what God said God was going to do, motivated Noah to the work. So faith, our personal faith, motivates us to the work. That is given for us to do in this case of Noah's time in Genesis chapter number six to nine his faith motivated him into the obedience of building that ark for the purpose of being able to deliver his family and to to provide a, a refuge for the animals that God would ultimately lead to that ark at its completion so that it would be loaded with everything that God had purposed to save so that it would come across the other side of that flood and be able to begin a brand new world the same thing is true for us in this case jesus is our ark jesus is the one whom by faith we enter into for our salvation and and upon entering into him in the obedience that we have in God, we go forth testifying of a future destruction even that is going to come upon the world. The same kind of future destruction message that that Noah had about the flood is the same kind of future destruction message that we have concerning revelation. And the reality that their only hope of escape from that future time is through the Lord Jesus Christ is is overwhelming, and that we we of necessity have to acknowledge. And if you don't acknowledge this, you're not saved. Yes, I did say that you're not saved because you've not recognized the authority of Jesus, the authority of God over you, over the world. Jesus said, "Since you you have given him," he's referring to himself right? And the third person, Jesus saying, since you have given him authority over all flesh, as God would say in Ezekiel chapter number 18 and verse number four, he would say, behold, all souls belong to me, the soul of the father. So also the soul of the son is mine and the soul that sins, it shall die. Understand that he says, you have given me all authority over flesh to give eternal life. Now, the purpose of his authority over all flesh is for this, to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. Now, this is very important because it is understood that salvation comes from the Father. And Jesus is the mediator of the covenant of salvation that has come from the Father to you. And so that Jesus, being that perfect sacrifice that He's about to become for mankind, that is the Father's love that gave the Son for you to be able to be saved by faith through His atoning work as the Lamb of God for your sins. So, as you have faith in Jesus, the Father saves you and receives you unto himself, an adopted son or daughter of the king by the spirit of adoption, as revealed in Romans chapter number 8. And so, we find that he says this is eternal life. Now, In verse number two, he says that you've given authority over all flesh. You've given eternal life to those, to all whom you have given me. He says, and this is that eternal life, that they may know you, that they know you. Now, this word know, remember this this word know is very powerful because It is, in in old King James language, and many other translations, by the way, it is used to be able to explain the sexual union that happens between Adam and Eve that would bring forth Cain and that would bring forth Abel. As it's back in in Genesis chapter number 4, it would say in the very first verse that Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bare a son and named him Cain. This word "new" or to know is, is such an intimate phrase that it literally brings two people together as becoming one. That's what that word know. It's such an intimate knowledge of someone that, that you literally become one with them. And Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you. And of course, uh, often I speak from the, the King James perspective because this this is just the translation that's got it all. <laughs> I'll always stand am my good old King James Bible. But this this word that they may know you, the only true God. Now, in a world of of John, you have a plethora of other gods that Jesus would would single out everything else to the only true god the only true god all of these other things being false we say we don't have all those other gods in our modern day well yes we do you better bet we do We've got all of these different gods that are are of our own making, just as they were of the old days, the ancient times making. We make our own gods today, and, and the necessity of knowing the only, only true God Now, this is the the exciting part that Jesus had said, is that in my authority, Jesus said, over all flesh I give eternal life to all whom you have given me. This is the first time that Jesus said that. You know, we, we go back to the bread of life. He said, all that the Father has given me shall come to me, and I will in no wise cast them out, but will raise them up in the last day. We find that Jesus acknowledges over and over again that it's the Father's work in the redemption of man and that his work was completed in Christ Jesus as the Lamb who was to redeem. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, we are received by the Father because it was the Father ultimately who gave this gift. And Jesus always acknowledges that, that promise, that work of the Father's hand. And he says this is eternal life, that they know you. The only way we could possibly have a knowledge of the Father is through coming to the Son. Remember Jesus said that the tribulation you're going to face in this world and the suffering that you're going to go through is because they did not know him, and if they do not know him, they certainly do not know the Father. Well, in this case, he says that they know you, the only true God, and jesus christ now jesus the messiah whom you have sent is exactly what he's saying there this word christ is simply a greek derivative of the hebrew person or the hebrew title of jesus as messiah and so he says that you may know the only true god and jesus the messiah whom you have sent awesome he said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Oh, I love that. He said, look, I have served you. I mean, the, the same testimony that Jesus has in verse number four is the same testimony that the uh, Paul, the uh, apostle Paul had when he said, I've run my race, I've finished my course, I, I, I am ready to go. Praise the Lord, I've served my God. Well, hallelujah, I'm set to go. Jesus, he said the exact same thing. Of course, let's say that Paul was mimicking Jesus, not the other way around. But Jesus here, he said, look, I've done everything that you've given me on earth to do. He said, i glorified you on the earth, and the glorification of, of the Father on earth is what? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, exactly how are you, believer, glorifying God in this earth? Are you accomplishing the work that he has given you to do? You say, well... Well, what work are you talking about? How how am I supposed to glorify God? I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, that's not exactly true. What you're called to do as a believer above and beyond any other work that could be given to you by the church or by anybody else, what the one thing that you can do that Jesus did that glorified the Father is to proclaim this gospel into the lives of everyone around you. And that, that is exactly what is given for the accomplishment of the work, is to proclaim this gospel in the nursing homes and in the hospitals and in the, in the church and in the, in the friend's home and in the family's home and at work and all these other places that you go to play, to serve, to do whatever, to glorify the Father in heaven is to accomplish the work of proclamation. And that's Jesus' whole life is proclaiming the authority of God over man, proclaiming the power of God unto salvation, proclaiming the the will of God in in the daily administration of living in this world. I mean that the power and and the authority and the will are are these things that we are to promote and we are to proclaim. And that's just the basics of serving the Lord. <laughs> And Jesus did it. He said, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. He said, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. A oh, whole that Jesus, in in his earthly estate, can recall the glory that it was with the Father before the world even existed. What we really get a picture painted for us in this place of verse number five is that there was a, a unified, eternal fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before day one was created. And that this fellowship was a fellowship that was in perfection. It was a fellowship that was in in unity. It was a fellowship that was that was literally just brilliant with with love. It's just it's impossible to really explain, isn't it? This fellowship. And Jesus, he knows it. He's had it, and he so desires to have it again glorify me in your own presence with the glory that i had he's acknowledging that glory cuz see when he was born into the earth now the whole time even after day 1 was created and all of these things were made there was still that unity that 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 glory that was between father son and holy spirit that that was inseparably one in in the throne room of god there in heaven but there came that time when jesus was essentially delivered to the earth there came that time when jesus was formed into the womb of mary and so that he would come and be a part of this world and and all of jesus's 30 plus years of of living in this world has brought him to a place where he just longs for that which he had that he had had before the foundation of the world whereas we have been born into this world as a part of this world in the corruption of this world and that this world is all we've truly ever known and that no matter how much of a faith we have in jesus there's still this this minute fear that exists inside of us about that time of crossing from this natural world to the eternal dwelling that we have in heaven this we call it death we face death with intrepidation because there is this idea of what is on the other side, and we're unfamiliar. But that's not a problem with Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what he had on the other side. He knows exactly where he's going back too, just like he told the disciples yesterday, he said, "I know I, I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm going back to the Father. He knows where he's going to be." And so, death is not something that rattles the son. It's the the suffering that is going to be required to get to that point of death that rattles the son just a little bit. But ultimately, dying—how can Jesus die? He's the resurrection and the life. He can't die, but he can suffer, and that's where the sweat drops of blood come from in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's not death that rattled the sun. It's the pain of getting to the point of going home that broke his heart. Oh, that Jesus remembers the glory that he had in the presence of God before the world existed. There's no question about the thrill of Jesus' soul and what he's about to enter into. He said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word they belonged to you, and then I came, and then they, they were transferred to me, but regardless of if it was you or me, they've kept your word. But in fact, when we consider the word kept as in the word keep in the present tense instead of this past tense, this word keep, of course, to observe or to guard and protect, so that Jesus was on the earth, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. and So that we understand that, indeed, you gave them to me, and they have kept, observed what Jesus taught them, guarded Jesus in this life, gave a, a provision of protection over Jesus as they walked with him. They have kept your word. And that's exactly what he calls us to do this very day. Father, we thank you, and praise you, asking for your blessing be upon us, that your face would shine this day in our hearts. We would know our faith and connection to you and be observant of those things which you have commanded us to do, that we may honor you in this world. Lord, bless us, keep us And we will be thrilled for the day which we're able to see you as we've served you, Lord, to be faithful in all things, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Bless us with this idea, Lord, and give us strength to live it out. In Jesus' name this day, amen. Well, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you tomorrow for John 17 and verse number 7. Y'all take care.